Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us here this morning. God, you are great and glorious. There is none like you. How great is your love. Your, your grace is unending. It, it's far-reaching. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. God, nothing compares to you. God, this morning we have given you praise. We, we've lifted up your name through song, and now we turn to your word. We, we ask, God, <laughs> you are the light of the world, that you would illuminate our heart, our minds, uh, to understand, to behold the beauty of your truth now. So speak to our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. This morning we're going to continue in this wonderful book of prayers and songs and the book of Psalms. And as we do, I, I want to ask you a question this morning. What, what captivates you? I, I was thinking of that this, this whole week as I was looking here at Psalm 36, our text for this morning, and started thinking what captivates me. And, and over my lifetime, it's, it, it's been beautiful scenes in, in nature, whether it's a, a beautiful canyon or a beautiful a range of mountains, a snow cap, or with the, the sun uh, shining and glistening off a, a mountain. Um, it, it's been beautiful sunsets. Uh, it's been my wife walking down the aisle uh, on our wedding day. I, I was truly captivated. Um, it's been our children being born. I've been captivated by those moments. It, it's been the process of adoption, uh, truly captivating. And Throughout the Psalms, we, we see these writers uh, pinning words uh, that express how, how they've been captivated by God and, and His greatness. And, and, and King David does that here in Psalm 36 this morning as he speaks of an experience of, of his, of being captivated by the greatness of God. And as he does, he, he contrasts uh, the wicked and the righteous, which is also a, a common thing that we find throughout the Psalms. In fact, that's how the Psalms begin in Psalm 1, as the wicked and the righteous are contrasted uh, there. And so we see that the, here in Psalm 36 as well, that this picture that's painted, and it's a powerful contrast of the wicked and their rebellious hearts, and then this beautiful picture of the greatness of God. And then at the end, David is going to pray. And it's this beautiful prayer of the righteous that, that I pray we all long to pray uh, this morning and, and daily in our lives, that we would continually be captivated by God, His greatness, instead of this world and the evil in it. And so this morning, if you will, join with me here in Psalm 36, verse 1. And we're going to see this rebellious heart, the, the wicked, the ungodly. And it begins like this. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Here David shares a message concerning the sinfulness of the wicked, the ungodly, and how they look at life. And the result uh, is that they live this life of sinfulness, uh, of wickedness. Uh, what is transgression as we begin in verse 1? It, it means rebellion against God. It is the breaking of God's law. It is sin. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. We all, we all break God's law. We all are disobedient. And David says here that transgression and sin speaks to the ungodly, um, speaks to the wicked deep in their heart. 
And so what's the message? Well, we find at the end of verse 1, the message that's being spoken is that there is no fear of God before their eyes. The world will say, listen to your heart. Go with your heart. But Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The wicked listened to their heart, which has no fear of God, as they disregard God and His Word. They had no fear of God. What is the fear of God? It is not the fear of a a slave who only works because he is afraid of punishment, but instead it's the idea of a a child who moves and, and lives as if he was always before his father because he loves him. It's the loving respect of a child toward a parent. And that's how we're to, to live before God with, with that kind of fear. So, so how do we define that? Well, Jerry Bridges defines it in his great book uh, about the fear of God, saying it's a profound sense of awe, including respect, admiration, amazement towards God. Sinclair Ferguson says to fear God is that uh, indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and all which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what He has done for us. It's an awe of God's majesty, but it's also a dread or, or a tear of His wrath. And I believe here in Psalm 36.1, that's the idea that David has in mind here. Uh, there was no tear. There, there was no fearfulness of God, no, no dread of, of His wrath here. And so the fear of God can mean that. It's also the desire to glorify God in everything we do. It means to listen, to want to listen to his word and to obey it. It also includes to walk in the fear of God, meaning to walk by faith, to to trust God, to follow him is also included in that. And so the ungodly or the wicked did not fear God. And, And the message in their heart that they were listening to was that, to not fear him. And so they feel no uneasiness as they should, since God will judge them for their sins. No uneasiness whatsoever. And so Paul uses this verse as a climactic characteristic of, of sin in his beautiful letter in Romans chapter 3, verse 18. He, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so we're going to actually go back to Romans 3 a, a few times today as we look at this text because I, I think it's a good parallel of what David was communicating and, and also what Paul was trying to communicate. And so true followers of Jesus, though, they fear God. They believe God is everywhere uh, present. And so how can they, how can we as followers of Christ uh, break his law when we are in his presence? And so the next verse is powerful. As David builds this case, his case to prove what he just spoke of. In verse 2, he says, For it flatters him, the ungodly, in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. This is a picture of the ungodly or wicked and how they flatter themselves very much. They boast about themselves. They think so highly of themselves that they're unable to understand enough to even hate their own sin or even to recognize it. They're blinded by their pride. The wicked are in the dark. They cannot see what is so clearly within them and around them, even though it stares them right in the face. They think so much of themselves that they quiet their conscience and deceive their own judgment. They're free thinkers and think that believers are narrow-minded. 
And the problem is they have no proper view of God or respect Him whatsoever. But those who do fear God are grieved over their sin. They hate their sin because they see God rightly and they respect Him. They, they fear Him. This is ultimately dealing with, with one's character. Uh, just as Paul spoke about in Romans 3, verse 10 and 12, he, he says, There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. His character is seen clearly. And it's seen clearly also in his words and also in his actions. As the psalm speaks of this next in verse 3, it says, The word of his mouth are our wickedness and, and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good, as David continues to speak of the ungodly. And so in the first part of this verse, David mentions the wicked, evil, impure, and untruthful words that come out of one's mouth, who is ungodly, who is wicked. And so when the heart is so corrupt to flatter itself, the mouth is going to follow. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, Paul spoke of this. He says, their throats is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I don't know if you know what an asp is, but it's a little uh, bug that uh, looks cute and fury, uh, furry um, when you look at it. And it may be even tempting to, to pet and, and to touch, but um, when you touch it, it's, it hurts, it stings, and, it, and it's venomous, it's, it's poisonous there. And, and so that is what the tongue is like, is, is it... It spews out poison. It's venomous. It's hurtful. It's stinging. And Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34, from the outer flow of the heart, the mouth will speak. And so here you have this heart who has no fear of God. It, it boasts in itself. It flatters himself, has a complete disregard for, for God, um, quiets its consciousness with pride. And so out of that heart flows words from one's mouth. And they're wicked, they're evil, they're stinging, they're poisonous. And so the wicked silence their conscience. They go on speaking deceptively. But not only that, as the second part of this verse into verse 4 speaks of, is how the wicked act. They live wastefully without any restraint for what is evil. And so it speaks of now their, their conduct. In verse uh, 15 through 17 of Romans 3, Paul spoke of this as well. As he says, their feet are swift to shed blood. And so now we see their actions. Uh, destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. And so those who fear God, followers of, of Jesus, proceed in the right path. But the godless, the unbelieving, forsake what little good they once knew. And, and their conduct shows it. There, there's no peace in their life. There's no peace or good in their actions. And so look how bad things get for those separated from God, those who are far off from Him. Look at verse 4. He plans wickedness upon His bed. He sets Himself on a path that is not good, and He does not despise evil. This is how evil, evil gets. As the bed of the wicked is no longer a place of rest. Instead, now it's become this, this place of planning. Uh, this place of inventing ways of disobedience and, and evil. And said, so David goes here to a really 
dark place. He, he speaks of the great depths of, of brokenness. And he knew it very well himself. And so pictured here is one who would rather walk in disobedience, one who loves that which is impure. He never hates what is wrong, but even defends wrong and even practice it. And so this is the great separation, the great divide, you could say. Uh, such a heart and life is, is separated from God. This is the problem with the world. And they're in need of something or someone to bridge the gap, the, the gap that great divide between sinful man, an ungodly, wicked man, and between a holy God. And so this morning, we can sit here, we can focus on the evil, the bad, and the brokenness. We, we can do that in, in our life, but, but God doesn't want us to stay there. He, he doesn't want us just to, to camp out there. He instead wants us to think and reflect on who He is, His greatness. Uh, not camp out on the, on the great brokenness of the world. We need to realize it. We need to understand it. And, and we'll come back to it in a second and, and how God is going to bridge that gap. Uh, but what David does next is he moves away from the evilness of this world, the brokenness of this world, and he goes from sinful man to the glory of God, the greatness of God. And so the contrast is impressive. And David loved, he delighted in, in meditating on the characteristics of God rather than this idea of disregarding him as the evil did. Instead of pushing God out of his worldview, David sought to make, make him the center of it. And so look at verse 5 through 6 as we look at the greatness of God. It says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. And so David praises God for his love, for his faithfulness, for his righteousness, for his justice. In these two verses here, they are all immeasurable attributes of God. And so David paints a picture with his words here. He has given us the picture of the world in the first uh, four verses as the darkness of, of evil and clouds that, that fill the earth and the a lower atmosphere. But the heavens here in verse 5 and 6 are bright with the glory of God. The heavens are like this canopy of love and, and mercy. God's grace is higher and, and greater than all is the picture that David paints. And then God's faithfulness reaches to the sky beyond all comprehension. When, when you feel alone or, or that life is falling apart, we must remember these truths, these truths about God, about his love, about his faithfulness because God's love is there and he is faithful and, and he's not going anywhere. Some might feel at the end of the rope during the season that we find ourselves. Uh, I want you to know that, that God is near and greater than anything that the enemy of this world could throw at us. He never fails. He never forgets. He, he never falters, nor does he forfeit his word. He is faithful. He is good on his promises. And so let us remember his love and his faithfulness this morning. And then 
In verse 6, he speaks of God's righteousness. It's like the mountains of God. Uh, speaking of the firmness and, and, and the fact that his righteousness is unmoved. It speaks of his judgments as well. As he says, his judgments are like a great uh, deep. And so pictured here is the sea. And so sometimes the sea is calm. Sometimes it, it's rough as well. And so his righteousness, his truth, his judgment are not affected by, by the circumstances of life whatsoever. God is always right. He's always true. He's always just. That's who our God is, and that's the picture that David paints. And then at the end of verse 6, we see his omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. It says, he preserves man and beast. And so this speaks of how God um, is behind. He's the divine power behind all creatures and their continual existence. And so it speaks of the power of God. And so what a beautiful picture here in verse 5 and 6 of the greatness of our God. And then the verse 7, David continues. He says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And so what a beautiful picture here maybe of David sitting back and, and reflecting on the greatness of God, his love, and he sees his love as precious or excellent, meaning there's nothing like God's love. It's the greatest value. It's the greatest worth. Nothing compares to it. And because God is loving and merciful and his grace is unending, uh, his people can trust him. They can find refuge in the shadow of his wings. As David says here in verse 7, David has in mind the protective care of a parent bird for its young. This is how God cares for all his people. Although the enemy prowls and seeks to devour, followers of Jesus have no fear, for we are all under the care and protection of the Lord's wings. What a great promise to God's people this morning that we can take refuge in the shadow of the Lord's wings. And then look at verse 8 and 9. It says, They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give to them. Th- the drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the mountain of life, and in your light we see lights. Still speaking of those who take refuge, who trust in God, followers of Jesus, they are satisfied abundantly deep within their souls by God's spiritual provision. And so followers of Christ enjoy the provision of God's house that David is speaking of here. They drink their fill of the abundance of God's house. And so what is this speaking of? It's speaking of the presence of God. There's nothing better than the presence of God and to have a relationship with Him. And David spoke of this many times throughout the Psalms that he wrote. In Psalm 27, 4, he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. He desired to be in the Lord's presence. Nothing was better than that. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that he has come for this reason. So, so that we could have a relationship with God. In fact, he says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly uh, to experience the great abundance uh, of God's presence and having a, a personal relationship with him. So followers of Christ drink uh, of the river of God's delights. And so nothing can fill the soul like drinking from the gospel. And this is what the ungodly in verses one through four need 
to bridge that gap of this great separation between them and God. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he laid down his life for us. That's why he overcame the grave on the third day, was that we could have a relationship with God and not be separated from him forever. Instead, Jesus wants us to know the delights, the abundance of having a relationship with God. That's why in John 15, 11, concerning the gospel, Jesus says, I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants us to know the pleasure, the delight, uh, the great joy of having a relationship with God. And then in verse 9, back in Psalm 36, we find simple words with very deep meaning. For those who fear God, God provides life and light. He's the source, the sustainer of all light and life. In fact, Scripture says about Jesus that, that He is life and light. In John 1, 4 through 5, it says, In Him was life, speaking of Jesus, and life, this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, in Jesus is where spiritual life alone is found. He is the light which allows us to see uh, to have life. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world, as Jesus is speaking about himself. And he says, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of light. His light illuminates our hearts to see and to understand, to understand the depths of our depravity and our need for Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord, and he opens our eyes to that, the beauty of the gospel, so that we could drink deep of the abundance and the delights of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And so let's pause for a moment. Let's sit back like David did. And can we say this morning how precious is the love of our God? How great is our God? And now move to verse 10 through 11 as David speaks of a prayer, a, a prayer of his, a prayer, I believe, of all who, who follow Christ, the prayer of the righteous. And he says in verse 10, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. David prayed that, that God's love and, and righteousness would continue to captivate his affections, to captivate his heart and life so that the evil worldview and the thinking of the world would not win his heart. David wanted to continue in humble submission to the Lord rather than living in pride, rather than living in arrogance like the evil did and having this disregard for God. Uh, David did not want the pride uh, of life. David not, did not want this arrogance that he speaks of here and he, it, it, because it's the devil's sin. That's what pride is. And, and David pictures it here as this military scene of this conquering king placing his foot upon the neck of a defeated king. And, and David pictures pride like that. And he asks that no foot of pride, no arrogance would win out over a humble life lived in submission to the Lord and to his Word. And so this is a passionate prayer, a, a, a plea to God that he would continue in God's loving kindness, continue in God's righteousness, 
and not be given to pride or arrogance like the evil, evil um, of the ungodly. And so David prays. He prays. And we must pray to, to stay faithful to God, to, to flee evil. We must be in God's word. As Psalm 119 9 can, uh, encourages us as well. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And so, yes, we, we pray. We, we've got to pray like David does here. But we must also be in God's word so that we can live a pure life, that our hearts would be pure. And then look at verse 11. It says, your word in Psalm 119 I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. We must meet with the Lord through prayer and through times in the word to drink deep of his abundant grace, to continue in his loving kindness and righteousness. And so is there stuff in our lives this morning that God would not approve of? Is there anything that does not line up with his will and his word? We must Continually be asking that. And as we pray, um, seeking to, to live a life according to God's will and to His Word. And if there's anything that the Lord finds within us, that we would pray and confess that and ask the Lord that, that we would turn from those ways and, and repent and follow Him. And so don't let the bad, don't let the brokenness of this world win out in your life. Don't let it override the greatness of of Jesus, because Jesus is better. And that was David's desire, that, that he would have the greatness of God um, captivating him all the days of his life so that he would not slip into pride, that he would not slip into ungodly living or impurity. And so what David prays against experiencing in verse 11, he says in closing, uh, the wicked or the ungodly, those who do not fear God, uh, have fallen into that. And there is great consequences because of that. And so he speaks of the consequence of the ungodly as he finishes this beautiful psalm in verse 12. He says, there the doers of iniquity have fallen. They've fallen in their pride, their, their sinfulness, their wickedness. And he says here, they have been thrust down and cannot rise. And so the ultimate end for the ungodly, for the wicked, those who do not fear God and turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the ultimate end is destruction for which they cannot recover from. The defeat of the ungodly and the powers of evil are final and you cannot turn back once it's too late. And that's the idea that David has here. And so I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, those eyes which have no fear of God before them now shall have tears of hell before them forever. David ends here with an honest, real, hard word for those who do not seek after God, those who do not follow Christ. And it's a hard word to hear, but it's, it's a real honest word. It's a real consequence that those who rebel against God, those who do not seek after God, will face. And there's no turning back once it's too late. But for those who fear God, those who trust in Christ, we are promised that we will be with the Lord forever. 
Just like David prayed and longed to to be in the presence of God and in the house of God, we will experience the abundance, the great delights of knowing God firsthand as our faith one day becomes sight. And we'll experience the, the great joy of being in God's presence. And we will rejoice forever. Oh, what a great and amazing God. Let us be captivated by him this morning. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus who, God, who has has opened our heart and and our eyes and our mind through the Holy Spirit uh, of who you are, the greatness uh, of your love that, that stretches from one end of the heavens to the other and goes on and on and on. It's, it's unending. That's your grace. It is amazing. I pray this morning that we would drink deep of your amazing grace, the abundance and the, and the riches of your grace, God. Uh, may they be our delight this morning. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. May we be captivated by your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching this morning and you do not have a relationship with with Jesus Christ, and maybe as we were walking through the the first four verses this morning, um, maybe you felt kind of the sting and and, uh, the reality of the condition uh, of man without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you this morning that God is near, that, that He wants to hear from you. And, and it could be a simple prayer this morning of, of reaching out, of, of, of seeking Jesus this morning and, and His salvation and, and praying a simple prayer of recognizing that you are a sinner and, and that you are in need of Jesus Christ to be your Savior. So that the divide between you and God Uh, can now be fueled by Christ and bridged by Christ, and you now can have a relationship with God. And so would you maybe say and pray a simple prayer like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I disobey you. I know I break your laws. I know that I fall short of your glory. But but Lord, I want to have a relationship with you, and I trust in your son Jesus, and I believe that he died for me so that my sins can be forgiven and I can have a relationship with you. The Bible says if we pray a prayer like that, if we have a believing heart that confesses and expresses those type of words, that Jesus comes our Savior, He's our Lord, and now we begin to follow Him and walk in His ways. And so if you prayed that prayer this morning and, and if you trusted in Christ for the first time this morning, we'd love to hear from you down in the notes here uh, on YouTube. You, you can find a place where you can reach out to us and, and let us know. And, and we'd love to follow back up with you and, and encourage you in, in this new relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful day and the Lord bless you all. Take care.